Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Romans. And I do think that was interesting how all those songs were prayers, weren't they? And uh, they were a great way to prepare our hearts for hearing and studying God's word. And if you were here last week, you know we made a big transition in our study of this uh, great epistle to the churches in Rome. And we transitioned from the doctrinal section, chapters one through 11, to the practical section of chapters 12 through 16, not to say that the doctrinal section is not practical, uh, because all of it leads to living a certain way. And uh, we said that last week that you need both. You need both doctrine and duty, and they go hand in hand, and they complement one another. And that's typically how Paul wrote his letters. And in fact, if um, you kind of forgot where we were in our outline, uh, we provided uh, some more of these on the back tables. And so if you lost yours or misplaced yours, um, I would encourage you to grab another copy of this, uh, we call it a roadmap for Romans. It's just the outline that we're following in our study, and so it would be helpful for you to have this if you maybe started coming uh, recently and, and uh, would like to uh, feel like you're fitting in where we're at. Um, and also on the back side, just to remind you, is the Romans Road, which is a simple gospel presentation. If you uh, maybe have always wondered, man, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know maybe how to share the gospel with someone, well, Keep this in the front of your Bible or uh, maybe somewhere in a, a, a place, uh, a handy spot where you can pull it out. Uh, you could even fold it up real small, put it into your wallet. And uh, if uh, you have an opportunity to share the gospel, just pull it out and say, hey, do you mind if I share some verses with you from the book of Romans? And it just uh, walks a person through uh, the book of Romans from Romans chapter one all the way uh, through Romans chapter 12 of what it means to be a Christian what it means to give your life to Christ. And so anyway, hopefully that's a helpful resource. Just wanted to let you know we have more back there for you if you'd like them. But this morning, we're gonna re be reading and studying verses three through eight, Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. And so you can follow along in your Bibles as I read. Paul went on to say, after that epic charge to be living and holy sacrifices that are acceptable to God, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we would know what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes on to say this, for the, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, again, we just wanna say thank you for this trustworthy standard that you've given us of what we should believe and how we should live our lives. And as we learned last week, this great book of Romans is not just some doctrines to believe, but uh, there's also duties to live out. And as we uh, approach some more duties this morning, things that you have um, commanded us to do, expect us to do, may we not try to do these things in our own strength, but in the strength that Christ provides through his death and resurrection and his life that he now lives in us by his spirit and so, Lord, would this not just be another list, another to-do list, but it would be an exciting opportunity to be more pleasing to you and to continue to grow and mature and be more conformed to the image of Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Well, I just wanna start by saying this morning that I am so glad that you found 
this church. Finding a good church is a difficult process, especially in light of all the options that are available today and all the factors that must be weighed and considered in picking a church. A few decisions that we make have a greater impact on us and our families in this life and the life to come than what church we choose to attend. There's a lot at stake in this important decision. But what is equally important and oftentimes equally difficult as finding a good church is once you've found it, finding where you fit in that church. Would you agree? Some of you are in that process right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're so excited that you found this church, um, but you're in that kind of awkward phase of just kind of finding out where you fit. Where is your place uh, in this church? And I will just say this, if you don't find your place in a local body of believers, you will not thrive spiritually and neither will the church. So again, there's a lot at stake here. In order for you to grow and mature and be more conformed to the image of Christ and in order for our church to grow and mature and be more conformed to the image of Christ, you have got to become a contributing member of the church. And sadly, far too many Christians in our day are merely consumers rather than contributors. They go to church expecting to be ministered to and served and maybe even entertained without any thought of how they might be able to minister to others and serve others. Their mindset when they arrive is, what can I get out of this for me? There are some who do serve, but unfortunately they serve in ways that actually serve themselves, like giving. Not so needs can be met, but so they can gain influence in the church. Or they teach, not so others can learn and grow, but to receive praise from others for how well they teach. They love the accolades of being the teacher of this class or that class or that grow group. Or leading, they lead, not to care for souls, but to be seen by people or to be in charge of people. Well, obviously this is the exact opposite attitude that Jesus expected of his followers. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42, when the disciples were bickering about who was the greatest and uh, who was gonna sit on his right hand and left hand when he entered the kingdom uh, and he took over uh, Rome and you know, destroyed them and he set up his kingdom in, in Jerusalem, they wanted to know who was gonna be his right and left hand man. And he overheard this conversation and this is what he said. Those who are recognized as rulers or leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And then he said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I think one of the main reasons why there are so many weak, unhealthy churches is because too many Christians are not looking for a place to serve, but they're looking for a place to what? Be served. And that's why Jesus called Christians to humbly and selflessly serve others, especially our fellow members of the body of Christ. We're not only saved to serve, but we're also gifted to serve, and that's the point that Paul makes in these six verses. And we know Paul was writing to uh, Christians who were members of local churches throughout the city of Rome, and he likened them here in this passage uh, to members of a human body. We know our bodies are made up of different parts that each have a unique job to do or role to play and they all work together in unison so we grow strong and healthy. And if one of the parts of our body fails to function properly, it affects our entire body. 
We found that out firsthand as a family because seven years ago, our son Jacob's pancreas stopped doing his job. Stopped pumping insulin uh, into his bloodstream. And that's what they call type 1 diabetes, right? And we've been living with the results of that ever since. But as members of Christ's body, the church, every one of us has a specific job to do, has a unique role to fulfill, and if we don't do our job or fulfill our role, the entire church suffers. That's why it's imperative that we all know where we fit into the body of Christ so we can do our job and we can fulfill our role. In fact, this is all part of our spiritual service of worship as living sacrifices who are pleasing to the Lord. And based on the context here of Romans chapter 12, one and two, when we offer ourselves as living and holy sacrifices and as our minds are being renewed, we quickly realize that it's God's good and acceptable and perfect will that those whose lives, uh, as those whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, of Jesus Christ, we are to humbly and actively be involved in the body of Christ. I assume you understand that, or you wouldn't be here this morning. That this is part of what it means to be committed to Christ, is being committed to the church. Someone who is completely consecrated to God, as Paul described in verses one and two, will also be closely connected to the church. And so what we have here in these verses this morning are a couple of essentials, two essentials for finding our place in the body of Christ. So what does it take to find your place in the body of Christ? Some of you have already found it. You're already there. You're settled in. You're doing your job. You're fulfilling your function. You're receiving great joy from that. You're experiencing spiritual growth as a result of that. In fact, God's using you to help other people grow. It's helping our church be strengthened and matured and become more like Christ. Others of you are still trying to figure out where you fit. Well, how do, how do you find your fit? Well, it starts with a modest assessment of yourself. It starts with a modest assessment of yourself. And then it is followed up by your ministry assignment. So you have to have a a modest assessment of yourself, and then you've got to understand your ministry assignment. Maybe a simpler way to say this, and you'll, I think, appreciate this as we go through this, is first of all, you've got to get over yourself. Okay? You just got to get over yourself. That's the first step to finding where you fit in the church. Just get over yourself. And secondly, get after it. Get after it. Whatever, whatever it is that your hand finds to do, the Lord says do it with all your might. Just get after it and faithfully serve him. I think that's essentially what Paul is saying here uh, in these six verses. And so let's look at these two essentials for finding our place in the body of Christ. First of all is your modest assessment. Get over yourself. Verse three, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That word for there, for through the grace given to me is, is, is tying together what he is about to say with what he just said. And so we, I want you to notice here that spiritual service is tied to spiritual surrender, okay? You're never gonna be committed to serving in the local church if you're not fully surrendered to Christ. So this all starts, again, back in verses one and two with total surrender to Christ, which leads to spiritual service within the body of Christ. And Paul was a good example of that. He said, for through the grace given to me, and we know grace to be the undeserved unearned favor that God shows all of us, but here in particular, it's the undeserved, unearned favor that God showed to Paul by saving him and calling him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And this is how he introduced himself in the first chapter. If you remember verse five of chapter one, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And then he repeats this in Romans 15, verse 15. 
but I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. What grace are you talking about, Paul? What are you referring to? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And so Paul put on his apostle hat here to represent the fact that he spoke with divine authority in what he was about to say. And so he was drawing them to that authority and notice what he goes on to say. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, don't have a high view of yourself. I read years ago as a young man that um, you needed to keep a low profile before God and men. I've never forgot that. Just keep a low profile before God and a low profile before men. In other words, don't have an inflated, overinflated ego. Don't don't be proud or arrogant about your spirituality or your abilities. Don't think you're more important than you really are or that you play a more significant role in the church than others do. Paul said it very bluntly in Galatians 6.3. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Oh, you think you're something. You're really something. Well, you're actually nothing. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fool yourself. You're not as important as you think you are. And apparently, the Jewish Christians in Rome regarded themselves better than the Gentile Christians because of their heritage. And you remember probably back in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul asked the question, and he's most likely had the Jewish believers on his mind at this point in the letter. He says, where then, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So Jews, get off your high horse just because you have the law and just because you, uh, you know, have the, her- the heritage as a Jew, it doesn't make you any better than the Gentiles because y'all, at the end of the day, y'all get saved the same way, by grace through faith alone, apart from works. Well, at the same time, The Gentile believers in the churches in Rome regarded themselves better than the Jewish believers. Why? Because the Jewish people had been broken off. They were the limbs that were broken off the vine and they had been hardened by God. You remember back in chapter 11, two times Paul, uh, as he's describing this whole picture, the, the imagery of the vine with the branches that were broken off and the branches that were grafted in, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, he said this, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Hey, Gentile Christians, don't be arrogant towards the Jews, but if you're arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited. And so Paul finally just comes right out and says it here in chapter 12. Hey, quit thinking so highly of yourselves. When it comes to thinking about ourselves, we, we need to avoid two extremes. The first is self, self-exaltation and the other is self-deprecation. And all of us probably trend or tend towards one of those two. It's like we're, we're looking for that sweet spot in the middle, right, where you're just a low profile before God and men. But some of us tend towards self-exaltation. This is, the, the, this is those of us that have a superiority complex, that we're a legend in our own minds. We tell everyone how good we are or how strong we are or how smart we are, how rich we are, how much we've accomplished. Others of us are more self-deprecating. This is those of us that have an inferiority complex. We have a low self-image. We tell ourselves and others how bad we are, 
how insignificant we are or how we're not needed or, you know what, if I left this church today, no one would ever miss me. They don't need me here. While these seem very different and and opposites from one another, the root issue is all the same. What is it? It's pride. That the self-exalting person and the self-deprecating person is way too focused on themselves. And that's why we need to get over ourselves. That's the point Paul's making. Hey, get over yourselves. Stop thinking high thoughts of yourself and stop thinking low thoughts of yourself. Stop thinking about yourself and think about others. I think the way to get over ourselves is to have our mind renewed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God so that we have an accurate understanding of who God says we are, which leads to us having the humble mind of Christ. Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and what? Humble in heart. Philippians 2, 5 Paul exhorted us to have the mind of Christ, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He just got done telling uh, the, the Philippian believers, hey, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit or pride, but with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourself. Don't just look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Have this same mind as Jesus, and what does he go on to talk about? How Jesus left the glories of heaven, right? To come to earth and take on flesh and become a man. And humbled himself even to the point of death. Death on a cross. So notice back in verse three here, he says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Notice all the times that Paul mentions the word think here. I think it's four times. Think, 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 think. Okay, we get it, Paul. You're talking about our thinking, right? And he just got done talking about the importance of of, of mind renewal. And so he's giving us a great example here of where, what this looks like, kind of where it starts, is, is how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. We need to think as to have sound Judgment, which means that we realize that we are all objects of God's mercy. And therefore, we have no reason to think highly of ourselves. Because whoever we are and whatever we can do is a result of the undeserved and unearned favor of God, and so we can't take credit for anything. We understand that apart from Christ, we are nothing and we can do nothing. That's having a sound judgment of ourselves. Now based on all of his experiences, all of his accomplishments, Paul could have very easily thought more highly of himself than he ought to have. And uh, by the way, that's why God brought that thorn in the flesh, remember? He said because of these great revelations, the guy had been to heaven and back, and uh, and God said, now don't tell anybody about it, which is different than what happens today. Somebody goes to heaven and back, supposedly goes to heaven and back, and what do they do? They write a book on it. They go on the road and talk about it. Well, that's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern, you got to go to heaven and back, keep your mouth shut, don't talk about it. And so Paul, Paul just said, hey, in order to keep me humble, he gave me this thorn in the flesh, and it worked because Paul had a modest assessment of himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. He knew where he fit in the church. It's not on the bottom rung. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Again, what is grace? God's undeserved and unearned kindness and favor. It's just, it's all the grace of God. I am who I am because of the grace of God. 
I can't take credit for any of this. Ephesians 3.8, he goes on, to me, the very least of all saints. So not only did he view himself as the least of the apostles, he viewed himself as the very least of all the saints. Like of all the Christians in the world, he was on the bottom rung. He was, he was the bottom of the barrel. He was the least of all the saints. This grace, notice grace again, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. I can't take credit. It's not me. It wasn't like I was some hot shot that God decided to, you know, exalt to this position as the, you know, as a Christian, as an apostle to the Gentiles. No, I'm the very least of the saints. And it's all his grace that has accomplished this. And so he's the least of the apostles in his mind. He's also the very least of all the saints. And of course, you know the third one, right? First Timothy chapter one, verse 14. The grace, there it is again, of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am what? The foremost of all. In other words, I'm the worst sinner who ever lived. I'm the worst sinner I know. So the least of the apostles, the very least of all the saints, and the worst sinner who ever lived. That's a modest assessment of yourself. And so so Paul practiced what he preached here, or was preaching or writing on. But notice how this verse ends. He says, don't think more highly of yourselves than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And I think that what, what sounds confusing maybe initially, if understood to simply refer to the God-given gift or gifts allotted to each one of us to fulfill our God-given role in the body of Christ, if we understand it as that, I think it, it fits the context as he's about to talk in verses four and five about the, 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 the analogy of the body So it makes sense that that this faith that was allotted to each of us, we've all been given a measure of faith. In other words, God sovereignly enables us and supernaturally empowers us to do certain things, to build up and strengthen the church. Notice he goes on, verse four, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is one of Paul's favorite analogies uh, of the church, to describe the church. He likened the church to the human body, which uh, we all get. Why? Because we all got one, okay? And, and, and we, it's, it's, a, it's truly an amazing thing. It, it's, it's made up of, of all these different parts. Um, and I was thinking about this. If you took... the dismembered, this sounds a little gross, dismembered our bodies and kind of put all the body parts out on some table to display and, and you had never seen a human body, uh, right? And you didn't have a concept of a human body and you looked at all these parts and you'd be like, what? And, like, and somebody said, this all goes together and it's your job to put it all together. You'd be like, what? Talk about a, a massive riddle, right? I mean, what is that? This, this thing over there with these five things sitting over there and another thing over here with these five toes and you don't even know what they are, right? What are those things, right? Feet and a nose and eyes and ears and like, what are all these parts? And what are these gross things that are all slimy and stuff? Where do they go? Where do they fit, right? Well, those are inside. You would know that, right? Like how in the world would you put this back together again? Like a puzzle. So he's using this analogy. You got this, this body, human body, made up of many parts and each part serves a very different but equally vital function or role in causing the growth and maintaining the health of the body. I mean, you've got things like the brain and the heart down to the tiniest vessel, the tiniest cell. And even if the tiniest cell in your body isn't doing its job, isn't functioning properly, you're in trouble. Your brain might be doing just fine. Your heart may be doing just fine. But if you got one rogue cell... You might have cancer, right? You know how that works. I can't think of a better example of what Paul's talking about here, this unified diversity, diversity in unity. 
that the human body represents. It's, it has all these different parts, again, that work together simultaneously as one for the good of the entire body. And again, so having sound judgment, he's exhorting us here to have sound judgment, to think so as to have sound judgment. It means we recognize that each person is unique within the body of Christ. And God has gifted all of us differently. We all have a different level or capacity of giftedness. In other words, some of us are more gifted than others of us. Uh, I've heard it put this way, that some of us are 60-watt bulbs and others are 75-watt bulbs and others are 100-watt bulbs, but guess what? All of those bulbs, I don't know about you, when I'm going to the store, number one, I can't even find the bulbs I want anymore because they're all these crazy new ones and I don't like the way they look, but um, I'm just like that. But anyway, but hey, I'm always buying all sorts of different wattage bulbs, aren't you? I don't just like buy one watt bulb for every light in my house. Every one has a different function, different role, and I want all of them. And if I can't find a 40 watt, just because there's a 100 watt on the thing, I ain't buying that. I don't want to blow up my lamp or whatever else they say, only 60 watt, right? I've always wondered what would happen if you did that. Anybody ever done that? Put like a 100 watt and a 40 watt to see what would happen, how long it would last. But anyway, the point is you want a 40 watt for a 40 watt, you want a 60. The point is we're, we're all different wattages. But even so, we all have an equally important function or role to play in the body of Christ. So, having said all that, it's wrong to boast about our gifts but it's equally wrong to belittle our gifts. And it's also wrong to be jealous or resentful of the gifts, talents, or positions of others and to covet them. I constantly have to remind myself of the conversation that Jesus had with Peter after he restored him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he pulled Peter aside. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, uh, and so there they were having this private conversation. And, uh, and then finally, Jesus followed that up and he just said, hey, by the way, when you get older, um, you're going to be captured and you're going to be led around as a slave. And in fact, you're going to get killed. You're going to be a martyr for the cause of Christ. And you remember what Peter immediately did? He noticed John, who was the beloved disciple, and you gotta know there was some dynamic going on amongst the disciples there that that probably was hard for Peter, right? Peter was the guy that just wanted to be, the, he was large and in charge, and the fact that, that it, it appeared maybe to him that, that Jesus had a closer relationship, more intimate uh, interaction with John, that probably rubbed him a little bit. I'm just, in, in his humanness, um, we all know what that's kind of like when you want to be the, the boss's favorite or the teacher's pet, right? And there's somebody else that's kind of has that role and you kind of get jealous, right? So the first thing he says is, hey, oh, by the way, you're going to become a martyr. And he says, well, what about, what about John? And remember what Jesus said? What's that to you? You follow me. So you're sitting around in a church full of people that maybe you feel intimidated by or uh, you, know, you, you can't match up to them and they're just so far beyond you in this way or that way and, and uh, you kind of makes you start feeling bad about yourself and like, oh man, I'm, I'm good for nothing and you know, I wouldn't be missed if I leave and who cares and you know, I'm unimportant and you know what Jesus would say to you this morning? What's that to you? In other words, get over yourself Get your focus off yourself and get it on other people. And, and use the gifts that God's given you, whether it's a 40-watt, 60-watt, 75-watt, who knows what wattage you are, and, and find great joy and contentment in that. And listen, if we are not content with the gifts that God has given us, then we are thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. I've read this to you before, but... I need to hear it all the time. In fact, so much so that I actually printed it and put it above my desk in my home office. And it's there on the wall. I can't help but see it. And this is what I wrote down. 
And this was just something that, I think it was actually when we went through the book of Philippians that I was really convicted about some of the things that, that uh, Paul was saying there to the church in Philippi. And, and so this is how it fleshed out in my life. This is what I wrote out. Quote, God has sovereignly ordained the size of my church, the sphere of my influence, and the level of my giftedness. If I have a problem with any of these things, then that is evidence that I'm not truly serving Christ, but merely serving myself and seeking to advance my own kingdom rather than his kingdom. I don't know if that fits or hits close to home in your heart, what you struggle with. Maybe you're not as sinful as me. I am the, the worst sinner I know, so maybe that's just me. But, um, but that's just good, and the point is, hey, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Have a modest assessment. Get over yourself. That's the first essential to finding your place in the body of Christ. Secondly, though, once you get over yourself, and by the way, you won't get over yourself. You have to keep getting over yourself, right? Because our flesh, our pride rears its ugly head all the time. But, so keep getting over yourself. But as you're getting over yourself, right, you need to consider your ministry assignment. You need to consider your ministry assignment. And you have to get after it. And, and by ministry assignment, I'm talking about your spiritual gift. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about here in verse six. Notice he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So again, that word um, grace there, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, that corresponds with what he said in verse three, for through the grace given to me, now he's talking about the grace that was given to you and given to us, and so again, he's talking about our gifting, and we, we understand this, that at the moment of our salvation, every one of us is given a gift or gifts, a combination of gifts from Christ through the Holy Spirit. They're called gifts of the Spirit to serve others in the body of Christ so that the church is edified and Christ is exalted. That's just the way it is. If you are a Christian, you have a specific spiritual gift or a combination of spiritual gifts that God granted you by his grace through his spirit to serve his church, to serve the people sitting around you. And I think this is important we understand. We're not given gifts to serve ourselves. We're not given gifts to show off to others, but to accomplish the ministry tasks that God has assigned to us for the good of the body and for the glory of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, what? Good works which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. So God has works for us to do. He's got tasks for us to accomplish. And he didn't just save us to keep us out of hell. He, he, he saved us to put us to work, to build his kingdom. And he's building his kingdom primarily today through the local church. And so we get to play a part in God's kingdom work. Now, Paul goes on here to provide a sample list of some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, this is a representative list. In fact, this is one of four lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Um, we can look at them quickly. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four, and this whole chapter is, is all about spiritual gifts. And um, he says this, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 12, five, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of the healing by the one spirit 
and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So again, God sovereignly ordains what gifts we all have, that each of us has, and then he also uh, supernaturally enables us to fulfill those or use those gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, he goes off on this body analogy, and he just, uh, what, what he said in two verses in Romans chapter 12, he, he takes the majority of this chapter to talk about. We don't have time to read it, but I would commend to you verses 12 through, through 26, and uh, he really unpacks this analogy and, and, just, and just, just, just makes it really uh, brilliant to see all the connections between the human body and the body of Christ. But then he comes back again to another list in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? In other words, just because you didn't get a certain gift, don't go over in the corner and have a pity party. A little, don't go, go over in the corner and pout. God didn't intend for all of us to have this, all these gifts. He's given them a, a certain, certain people for certain reasons, but notice verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So that's the second list. You got Romans 12, you got 1 Corinthians 12, that's easy to remember. But then you've got Ephesians 4, turn over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse seven, he, again, talking about to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Christ gifting the body, giving spiritual gifts to the members of the body of Christ. And verse 11, he says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So there's another little mini list, if you will, in verse 11. And then the last list is in 1 Peter chapter four. I like this one, it's really kind of short and sweet, but to the point, 1 Peter chapter four, verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things you may be glorified. Is that what it says? No, in all things that God may be glorified. God didn't give you your gifts to glorify yourself, but to glorify God, to glorify him through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So God should get all the glory for any good that he accomplishes by his spirit through us. Now when you harmonize those four lists, there are a total of some 18 or 20, depending on how you um, divide them up, some, some may overlap, some may keep, you kept separate. Not everybody agrees on how to you know, divide them up or keep them together. But, so you got at least 18 to 20 gifts mentioned in these four lists, and they all fall into three basic categories. You've got sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. Sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts, which are self-explanatory. Sign gifts are those uh, signs like being able to heal somebody, being able to perform some miracle. Though they, those were given by Christ as a sign. The apostles were given the ability to, to do these signs and these wonders and these miracles so that people would go, oh, this guy's a prophet. This guy's an apostle. This guy is a man of God. We need to listen to this guy. He's got some power flowing out of him. So that indicates to me that I should listen to what this guy has to say. This guy's from God. 
and he's speaking for God. These, these were sign gifts. And then, of course, there were speaking gifts, right? The teaching, prophetic gifts, where you were communicating things. And then there's the serving gifts, um, where uh, you're, you're doing things oftentimes behind the scenes, things like the gift of mercy, the gift of helps. Uh, those are serving gifts. I would submit to you that another way to divide the gifts would be the temporary gifts and the permanent gifts. And I would put the sign gifts under the temporary gifts, and I would put the speaking and serving gifts under the permanent gifts. You say, well, where do you come up with that? Well, I think it's interesting that Paul mentioned the sign gifts in 1 Corinthians, which was a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth several years before he wrote Romans. But he didn't include sign gifts in the list he gave here in Romans. Um, it's, it's just either speaking or serving gifts. And then furthermore, in the two other passages in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, which were written several years after Romans, uh, the sign gifts aren't included in those either. Again, they're just the speaking serving gifts. I think that's evidence that sign gifts were already on their way out. In other words, they were on the, in the process of being phased out. You see a lot of them happening in the Gospels, uh, in the book of Acts, right, at the, at the establishment of the church uh, before the, the word of God was completed. And so they were beginning to phase out as more of God's word was being inscripturated. Uh, they were no longer necessary to authenticate those who spoke for God. And uh, again, Jesus gave his disciples the ability to do signs and wonders um, he also gave the apostles, who they became the apostles, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, they were called the signs of an apostle. They weren't signs of every Christian, they were signs of an apostle. Um, and then Hebrews chapter two, uh, verses three and four, I think is a helpful uh, little verse that talks about the purpose of these sign gifts. Hebrews chapter two, verses three and four, after it was at first, at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In other words, how was the word of God affirmed in the early days of the church? It was affirmed through signs and wonders. Well, I think it's because they didn't have this right here. We, we have this. So, you don't need me to do some miracle or to heal somebody or to do something crazy for you to go, whoa, well, I guess we should listen to this guy. He must be speaking for the Lord. No, all you need is this thing right here to determine whether or not I'm speaking for the Lord, right? Because you can compare what I'm saying with what the Bible says, what God has already said, and uh, so there's no longer a need for these, what I would call temporary Sign gifts. Now, of these 18 to 20 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament, um, I would say then, in light of that, there are probably 10 permanent speaking serving gifts, nine or 10, depending on how you break them out, that God's still using today to build his church. And Paul mentions seven of them here in verses 6 seven and eight. And so the first one is prophecy, prophecy. Notice he says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. What is prophecy? And again, be careful how you define prophecy in our day and age, okay? It's different from the prophecy in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, but this is how I would define this prophetic gift, it's the divine ability to proclaim the truth of God's written revelation with power and conviction. And again, when God was still in the process of revealing his word to mankind, the gift of prophecy oftentimes involved foretelling future events. Now that the canon is complete, the gift of prophecy doesn't need to include foretelling future events, it just simply involves foretelling biblical truth. And so it's no longer prediction, now it's simply proclamation. And again, the way we know whether someone's a prophet of God 
is if what they proclaim lines up with what the apostles and prophets of the Old and New Testament said, which is preserved for us here in the scriptures. In other words, it needs to be in accordance with, as Jude calls it, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, which is your Bible. So prophecy, if understood in the way that I define that, Secondly is service. Notice he says of service in his serving. Service, or some might call this the gift of helps. This is divine ability to serve faithfully behind the scenes, assisting others in practical ways to free them up, to carry out their area of giftedness. Some of you have the gift of of service, the gift of helps. Teaching. He says if he teaches in his teaching, this is the divine ability to clearly explain and apply God's word to the hearts and minds of God's people. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Exhortation. He says, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, this is the divine ability to lovingly admonish, to encourage, to stimulate, to counsel others with biblical truth. It's that person that just kind of comes alongside someone else and admonishes and encourages them and comforts them with God's word. Some of you may have that gift. Giving, he says, uh, who gives? He who gives with liberality. This is the divine ability to joyfully and eagerly contribute to God's work and provide for those who can't meet uh, their own needs, and, and it's done with liberality, uh, which obviously means generously. Some translate that word simplicity which means you don't have any ulterior motives or hidden agendas while you're giving. Some of you have the gift of giving. How about leadership? Notice he says here, um, he who leads with diligence. So leadership or administration is, again, you could combine those possibly or keep them separate, but this is the divine ability to effectively mobilize and motivate people and accomplish plans in an orderly fashion. This Gift is often connected with the work of an elder or a pastor who wisely oversees and shepherds uh, God's flock. They guide and they feed, they nurture. But notice it's to be done with diligence. In other words, you're not negligent. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says to honor those that labor among you diligently and they have charge over you. That's the role of an elder is to work hard shepherding the flock. And then lastly here, he, he mentions mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is the divine ability to detect hurt and sympathize with those who are suffering and provide comfort and support in their time of crisis or pain. Some of you, I just described you to a T, right? Why, because you have the gift of mercy. And notice he says to do it cheerfully, with cheerfulness, um, and not, oh man, this is, this is a, bummer, this is a drag, this is an inconvenience, and you kind of go about meeting some need begrudgingly. No, you do it joyfully and cheerfully. So every one of us in this room, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have one of these gifts or a combination of several of these gifts. Someone likened our spiritual gifts to kind of like a, a, a palette of paint. You know, a painter has that palette and he's got all the different colors and he can kind of mix and match the colors and he can come up with any kind of color he wants and God does that with us. He, he, maybe some of us are just all red, right? Okay, there's, uh, he's red. But maybe this guy's a little more, you know, a blend of red and green and I don't even know what color that makes. But the point is there's a, 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 a countless number of combinations. That's why we're all different. Another analogy I've heard is like we're snowflakes, not in the political sense, right? But we're, we're spiritual snowflakes where we're all different. There's no one snowflake is exactly like. They all have a different pattern, and so we're all uh, in the same way with our spiritual gifts. The question I have for you this morning is, do you know which one of these gifts or gifts you have? And if you know that, are you developing it? Are you improving that gift through regular, regular use? See, in order for you to thrive and for our church to thrive, you need to discover, you need to develop your spiritual gift or combination of gifts that God has given you to serve his body, the body of Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? 
Well, let me give you quick, five ways, and it's just quick. I'm just gonna bullet point them off. How do I do that? You're sitting here going, hey, I need to fit into this place, and I'm having a hard time finding my place in this church. Well, number one, study what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts, which, check, we just did that, okay? So you already got the first one accomplished. Number two, ask God to reveal your spiritual gift to you. I mean, how novel is that? Hey, Lord, you gave me a spiritual gift. The Bible says you gave me a spiritual gift. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. Could you tell me what it is? Could you show me what it is? Ask him. I'm sure he'll answer that prayer. Number three, don't just sit around and kind of wait in your closet for him to zap you and go, bing, this is your spiritual gift. Get out there and experiment with various ministry opportunities. Kind of get out there and try some stuff and, and, and see if you maybe know how to teach or if you can serve in this way or lead or, or administrate or um, try giving, right? It's like, hey, that was fun. I want to do that some more. That might be an indication that that's a gift of yours. Uh, number four, seek the wise counsel of other mature Christians. And, and this is a good way to verify whether you know, you've got a gift. If, if, if you get up and you kind of, uh, you know, you, you say, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to teach these kids, and, and, uh, and you're in there, and, and those kids are just bouncing off the wall, and, and they're not listening to a thing you have to say, and, and, uh, and the, the, the assistant that's in the back there watching this whole thing is going, oh, this is a mess. Um, maybe that's because you don't have the gift of teaching, Okay. Or maybe the kids ate too much sugar cereal that morning. That could be the problem too. But the point is, or you have an opportunity to teach some kids and, and, and by the grace of God, man, you got them fixated. You got them eating out of the palm of your hand. How did you do that? That wasn't you. That was the spirit of God in and through you. Listen, you put me into a, a children's classroom, I lock up, I freeze up. That is not, I mean, say, well, you have the gift of teaching. You should be able to do it to all ages. I'm not really good at teaching children. In fact, somebody years ago said, hey, pastor, we want you to come and teach the kids about baptism. And it was like the kindergarten class. And so we're all sitting around these little tables with blocks and crayons, and I come in there with my Bible and my suit on. I'm like, um, I, was, I didn't know what to do. And I just thought, man, I just shot way over their heads, and you know, I got done you know, waxing eloquent on baptism, and one of the kids, I think, looked at me and said, hey, what's the name of your dog? It's like it had nothing to do with what I, it's like, okay, I just failed miserably. Well, the point is you try things out and you find out what you're good at and let, bring in other people in the process. Say, hey, I was, you know, not because you're looking for attaboys and things like that, but ask people for their honest feedback. And if people are coming up to you and saying, hey, you know what? Man, I was in that Sunday school class you taught, um, that adult Sunday school class maybe, and like, man, that was so rich. That was so encouraging. I was so blessed by what you had to say. There was some insights you brought out of that passage I never saw before, and man, the way you applied that, that's an indication that God's gift you to teach. Because people are why? People are being edified. People are being built up. They're being strengthened. They're learning. They're growing. And then lastly, number five, just be a faithful steward of your gift be a faithful steward of your gift. Don't let your gift go to waste. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul got after Timothy a little bit here in his second letter. And uh, this was when he talked about, hey, Timothy, you know, buck up, man. God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Don't be cowardly. But the verse before that, he said this, 1 Timothy 1, 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Apparently, Timothy had kind of put one of his gifts on the shelf. He wasn't exercising it for some reason. It was going to waste. It kind of had died out. And so Paul said, hey, Timothy, you need to stoke up the fire, bro, and get that thing going. And some of you maybe, as you've gotten older, kind of pulled back from the church because like, hey, you know what? I served my time. I did my thing. I'm, I'm in my retirement years. I'm gonna let the young bucks take over or the young people. No, listen, that's wrong thinking. You've got a spiritual gift that lasts a lifetime. You've got resources that you could be investing in the church in your later years. You've got skills. You've got experiences that maybe you're, you, you could be even more effective in your retirement years than you ever were during your working years, your younger years. So don't check out of serving the local church. We, we need everybody. Everybody plays a part. Everybody plays a role from the youngest to the oldest in the church. Find out what you're good at. Do it for the good of the church and the glory of God. That's how you find your place in the local church. Let's pray.
Lord, we're thankful for this passage. It's so simple, down to earth, very practical. Uh, it's something that we all uh, need to understand and we all need to put into practice. And so, Lord, I, I'm sure there's some folks here that are newer in the life of our church and they're still trying to figure out where they fit. They're trying to find their place uh, in this body of believers. Lord, would this message really propel them forward and to help them to get more plugged in? I pray those of us who are more plugged in, who have been here, have had the privilege of being here for longer uh, and we've kind of settled in and we kind of know how you wired us and, and how you want to use us and and uh, Lord, that we would be sensitive to those around us that are maybe newer and trying to find a, a place to serve, that, that we would reach out to them and put our arm around them and bring them along with us and, and include them in our service and maybe even give, them, give up an opportunity we might have so that they could try it and they could do it so that we would all be working together in unison, even as our physical body does, Lord, that this, this, this spiritual body would work uh, in that way, the way you intended it to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.